episode seven of the Live Learn Lead podcast, taking charge of your hidden stories with Erica from Orange Tree. Welcome to Live Learn Lead. Whether you are a new leader, aspiring to be one, or simply want to master leading your own life, this podcast is for you. Leadership starts from within, and we believe that the first step to leading in any walk of life is to lead yourself. Designed specifically to educate and motivate the leader within you, we have honest and inspiring stories of what success really looks like. Interviews with leadership experts from around the world, and personal insights from me, your host, Natalie Lockyer. Our mission is to make sure we all learn how to live our best lives and lead others so that they can do the same. Now we have a particularly special episode today. It is the first of our success stories. I met Erica whilst networking and she shared this story with me and I couldn't resist recording it. It is such a good example of how if we don't unpack the messages we received and took on as children in adolescence, then as adults we aren't in control of our story. It's wonderfully positive it's got a lot of humor and I invite you as you listen to this to take a pen and paper sit somewhere that's safe just to sit and listen and think about what are your stories what are the messages you took on without even realizing when you were younger and you are still living with today because that's the power of coaching. It's why I love it and why I find it so important. Until we do unpack what our thoughts are, our paradigms and our lenses are, we can't be in control of our story in our lives. It's step one and Erica managed to do this in a beautiful moment with a family member. I'm going to let her explain. So today I'm here with Erica from Orange Tree Solutions and we're about to talk about stories we have that we carry around with us. I mean, you've got a wonderful example, but how about you go ahead and introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do first. Thanks, Natalie. So I'm Erica Mackay and Orange Tree is a marketing strategy company. We help particularly small business look at their full marketing solutions from beginning to end to make sure that it's lined up with their long-term business objectives. So that's what we do at Orange Tree. Great. And how did you get into that just really briefly? So marketing, I've always been in marketing. I fell into it by accident from university. I was studying accounting for some reason and uh, realized (laughs) I preferred people to numbers. Um, And now I do both, which is fascinating. But Orange Tree came from a passion of wanting to help small business, wanting to have more flexible time for myself to be with my children and give back what I've learned over the years in corporate. Hmm. And what I was really fascinated was the other day we were having this chat, which has now spurred the interview. You gave a talk about the old brain and how it affects us. And you sort of gave a bit of history on that and how you love psychology. You love humans, which I found fascinating because a lot of people in marketing, in my opinion, it's like a really bad opinion, but people are in there because they like selling, they like the prestige and things. And your story is so different to that. Absolutely. I am so passionate about people and psychology and why people do the things they do. And I use that in my marketing because 
we are in every business selling to humans. We're talking to humans, everyone we deal with, even in the B2B space, there's a person behind that. And if we can understand their triggers, their drives, what they like, where they you know, where they shop, you know, what spurs them on. Even color psychology is fascinating, sound, feelings. I mean, all of it has such an impact on our daily lives. And if you can use that in marketing, it just makes it easy. And I saw a quote the other day that if it's easy, then it's right. Mm. And and I really feel that about marketing is if it's easy, if you're just talking and you're just telling people about your service or your product and they're coming to you, then you're doing it right because you're pushing all the right buttons. You're giving them something they need and want. And it's a win-win for everyone. And it starts with really understanding your, your end customer and the person that you're talking to. Yeah, I love that. So obviously what I'm doing with the coaching is I'm trying to help people understand themselves and others better. And you're then using that understanding to help serve people's needs better, which I love. Yes, we're very compatible. (laughs) Fab. So we had a bit of chat as well at that meeting. You've got a wonderful story I'd love to share with people. And part of why I... I'm quite passionate about doing this podcast is I think we so often have our heroes that are, you know, the big people that we look up to. For me, there's like Simon Sinek and Tony Robbins. There's also like Oprah Winfrey and some really inspiring people out there. But we look at them and go, yeah, 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 that's cool. But, you know, I can't do that because they're like yeah. the big people, our daily heroes that would probably like geek out a little bit if we met them. And I'm really passionate about finding everyday heroes, people that inspire us in what they're doing and how they're being, that help us live how we want to help live, even if that's not the same way. And that's why I love like your expression of what you do is clearly your passion. And I think that's brilliant. And I'm about helping people find their passion. And I think we do that through finding inspiration in our everyday lives. So I like it. Yeah. So I want to break through those excuses and help people see they can. And they count in their own unique way. Love it. Absolutely. (laughs) Once you find the space, it's so worthwhile. Oh, exactly. And sometimes that shifts, right? Yes. (laughs) So like you said, you've come from corporate and now you're doing something quite different, but you'd still see that as success. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So the story you told me, remind me how it started, because it's a story about you and your sister going away on holiday, isn't it? Yes, we were talking about how certain beliefs are imprinted in us when we're young. And my sister and I, she lives in America, so we don't see each other that often. And about two years ago, our husbands both said they'll take the kids and they gave us some sister time. And we decided to book into Vegas for a couple of days. (laughs) And we booked a room in the Bellagio because we didn't know anything else. And we'd seen it on TV, right? Looks beautiful. And we literally, the first night we spent in our room talking with lots of great wine. Really interesting. When we were growing up, so I'm the eldest by three years. And when we were growing up, my parents used to go, Erica is the clever one. And not just my parents, teachers, people at our church, the community around. Erica was the clever one. And so I was the clever one. And Michelle, my sister, was the creative one, the pretty one. And she was very creative and very beautiful and whatever. And what we unpacked this night in Vegas was what I heard was that I wasn't pretty and I wasn't creative because wow. I was the clever one. And what she heard was that she wasn't clever. 
And how it formed our decision-making, I went to university to try and study accounting, but then changed it to a you know marketing degree. I w- went straight into corporate. I was just you know, very focused on my career and, and learning and studying, where she took a year off. She did a gap year. She came and uh, lived in the UK for a while, just pottering around, trying to find a feet, decided not to study, you know, trying to find her. And she got married, you know, lived with a guy, got married very early on. And just how that formed our decisions. And when we both sort of came to that realization, it was fascinating because actually, you know, I am pretty and I am creative just because I'm clever does not mean I'm not the other things. And the same with her. She actually is clever. And so she's since gone on to go and do a degree in HR practices, which is something she's always loved. But in her mind, she just wasn't able to get a degree because she wasn't clever. Oh my gosh. Um, and I'm, you know, t- tapping a bit more into my creative side in marketing. And I started actually um, being more involved in directing TV commercials, for example. In fact, you know, costume choosing is now my new passion. Even though if you <laughs> ask me if I know anything about uh, wardrobe or makeup or clothing, I would have said, no, 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 that's for, you know, pretty people. It's not for me. I love it now, you know, and it's so fascinating how just that one conversation was actually really good for both of us to just blow our minds a little bit and say, wow, we've spent our whole lives believing this nonsense, <laughs> which no one ever intended telling us that those words were never mm-hmm. said to us, but we heard it somehow. We heard it and believed right. it and, and behaved as if it was true. And that's the powerful um, thing, isn't it? Because we were talking very. like, your parents can give you messages with love. I mean, yes. they were praising you, right? You're really clever. Well done. We we're proud of you for being clever. They're praising your sister for, for being pretty. And there was no ill intent there. None. And they probably have like no clue how you receive that. No. And in fact, you and- probably didn't realise how you receive that until recently you were saying find that fascinating is one of the things I do with people is I get them to break down their stories and oh I don't have stories I was like okay so what kind of person are you and instantly you get that story like you said like oh I'm not creative I've been struggling with that one myself personally I went into science because I was good at it because it was a sensible thing to do we're encouraged into arts and things but those were very much hobbies and I've recently had to challenge you can't make money out of being artistic because you totally can I had no idea I was carrying that around I mean it's we both have daughters now and we're working and and sons we each have one of each but especially our daughters because I think it feels and maybe because I'm a woman myself it feels like women are more susceptible to those messages when I look at sort of the men in my life they seem much more solid about what they can and can't do. But I may be wrong. Like I said, I can only talk from my own perspective. But we're so focusing on our children now to make sure we give dual messages. Like, no, you're clever and pretty and creative and smart. And like, just not honing in on a singular message to make sure that that doesn't block out any other thoughts they may have, right? It's really fascinating trying to get that balance now with raising our own children, you know. <laughs> and you guarantee there'll be something that when they grow up Bobby. they'll have a realization <laughs> like you confused me mom you said I'm good at everything <laughs> yeah and I'm not <laughs> how, how could you give me that message 
I tried to be a pop star, my singing's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's really powerful. And so, like, I'm fascinated. How old was your sister when she went to university? Because you said she'd you'd had this talk a couple of years ago, three years ago. And well, she, she turned this 40 this year, so 38. She went to uni at 38. Yeah. Great. And she's now making a career out of that. Yes, well, she works, she's got a fantastic home business with her husband. So they actually, they're called a parent diary and they focus on only providing eco-friendly products. They've developed and designed a silicone lunchbox to prevent plastics. And so does all of that. But in her part time, she now helps small business with their HR practices based on what she studied, which is now a little passion of hers. Wow. So I think that's great because I hear so many people aren't too old to change now. And that's another no story we thing. have. Yeah. I no think that's great. such thing. <laughs> yeah. So I had the privilege to know we had an 80-year-old lady on my degree course when I was studying. Oh. Yeah. And we said, why are you studying? She's like, I wanted to. Because <laughs> people are like, what are you going to do with it? And I just thought about doing something with that qualification. It's about learning because I want to learn, which I thought was wonderful. And now you have to pay a lot more to go to university. So it might be a bit different, but I loved her attitude to, wow, I wanted to do something and it's got me out and I meet young people and I'm enjoying it. And I think that's so good when we do things because we want to and we know we're going to make them work somehow. Absolutely. And it's also about just expanding your knowledge to pass on, right? Whether it's to colleagues that you work with or friends that you meet or your children, you know, the more you, the more knowledge and skill you have, the more you can spread that in the world. Yeah. And so I just have a couple of questions. Like you had this realization a few years back, but now you look back at that story you told yourself you picked up somehow. How do you think it affected you growing? I mean, it's quite an interesting one because mine was, I'm not pretty. And one of the almost mistakes I made is the first guy that even looked at me sideways. I went and got engaged when I was 16 because it was the first, I was like, oh, I'm not pretty. Oh, a guy is interested in me. Oh, right, right. You know, grab him. He was 15 years older than me. And I, I was, I just didn't care. Right. I was like, oh, a guy, I'm, yay, I'm never going to find anyone else. It was very much about my relationships with men, you know, my relationships with myself, like no one else, you know, I'm not pretty, so no one will love me. So, oh my goodness, I better just grab the one that I've got. We didn't get married in the end. And then, you know, I did in, in, in marry my husband, but just the decision-making and the thought process about my self-worth in relationships. Mm. I'm a giver. I tend to give a lot. And I think part of that is, okay, to be good enough in this relationship because I'm not pretty. I have to give more. I have to overcome what I perceived as the deficit, that my deficit mm. in the relationship, right? And it's just so fascinating now. If I look at the decision-making I had and some of my behaviors in relationships, I was very clingy, you know, like, oh no, please, I, can't, I will never find someone else. Don't leave me kind of stuff. You know, quite detrimental, I think, in, in relationship building, but it was mm, all it's quite hard that. then to like attach if you're being so clingy. It's like hard for the other person to relate to you if you're not confident in your own self, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So I think really was made relationships very, very difficult for me. Mm. And not just personal relationships, even work relationships, even, you know, it's like, okay, how do I make sure I'm good enough? Like I have to be good enough all the time, right? Because clever is not really a 
word that's thrown around in a relationship, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting that like this, not being pretty enough, not being enough to be loved by another person, therefore really fully loving yourself, then affected you somewhere where you had told yourself your strengths were, where being clever is good for work, right? Yes. And that's what you want. And it, we're not taught that work is based on us being pretty. And yet it's still affecting your relationships and how you work and you coming from a place of fear in your workplace as well. Absolutely. But even that, I went through, I mean, many years ago, I was called in by an HR manager once and they said to me, oh, they've got some great career advice for me. So I'm like, yes, really, tell me, how do I grow in my career? And they're like, we think you need to wear makeup. Oh my gosh, um, they actually said that to you. Yes, that was the career advice, that if I started wearing makeup, I would progress much more as a woman <sighs> in the workplace. And I guess that played right into that story. Oh, yes. That was like, oh, yeah. just and, and But then I have this horrible stubborn streak. So I'm like, well, now I'll never wear makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that. Oh, you, you think I need to be pretty for this? Okay. I'm going to walk in like in my pajamas tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you the ugly girls can still get it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I suppose that then told you like you are ugly, you are not pretty enough. Yeah, just all played to it, didn't it? Mm. And that person probably meant well as well. They probably didn't really hear what they were saying. I'm quite surprised there was a HR professional telling you to put makeup on as well. Yeah, look, it was a good 10 years ago. The world was a different place, right? Mm. Women were struggling much more to get seen and heard. And I was in an insurance company, big corporate, very male dominated. I'm not justifying what she said at all, but I'm, as I said, I like to understand people and Mm -hmm. and what they were doing. And and she, as an HR professional, must have really been struggling to get women to be seen and heard at that time, right? It was just such a difficult time. We're in such a much better place now. I mean, there's still a lot of growth opportunity and way to go, but, you know, just a 10-year difference is chalk and cheese. I mean, 10 years ago, I would have had to ask my manager's permission, and this was South Africa, so it is a little bit more behind than the UK, but as because I worked in a bank, I would have to ask my manager's permission and he would have to interview my few okay. 10 years ago. Sorry, can you just repeat that? I just lost you very briefly there. Oh, so 10 sorry. years ago, you'd have had to ask your manager for permission to... To get married. And he would have to wow. interview my husband and sign it off because I worked in a bank. And the theory then was women were being, you know, were susceptible to fraudsters. And so they had to make sure that if you were getting married, it, it was a valid guy. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, it wouldn't even cross anyone's mind today, right? But this is 10 years ago. It was the norm. Oh, my gosh. So they literally, literally your boss had to approve your, part, your partner, your husband. Yes. <gasps> Not men, interesting enough. So they didn't have to approve wives because women were not considered to have that amount of influence to have to cause. (laughs) All right, because history has never told us that the way (laughs) women got control was to convince (laughs) men to do things they didn't think they wanted to do right. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I saw a quote the other day. It's like, women have been in power for far longer than anybody realizes. We just did it more quietly beforehand. Exactly. Gosh, I can't even imagine that. I mean, I've so I've read articles when I was interviewing for new jobs in corporate when I was switching companies of to look pretty but not sexy. 
Yes, yes. Because the sexiness would didn't like take you down a peg in people's estimations in the first five seconds, they would instantly think you were less intelligent, particularly in a science industry. But if you had subtle makeup on, it showed you cared and you were more presentable and more powerful. And I found so many articles recommending wearing makeup, recommending what kind of clothes to wear. And I think it's important to present yourself well. But I look at it now and think, I never found one saying to a guy, oh, you know, you should have a clean shaven face and your hair should be gelled and you should wear this suit. And remember, don't show too much chest, guys. You know, just maybe the top button. So it says there's potential. But you're not completely available. I <laughs> just, yeah. I find it fascinating now and like some subjective bias when filling certain roles that we don't even realize we have and that kind of thing and the behaviors as well, of course. Generally, and it is getting better, women will not apply for a role if they feel they meet less than 90% of the requirements. I think it is, don't quote me, but, and men are somewhere around 60% of the requirements. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. That that shocks me as well. It's fascinating. I always, I was very lucky in my career. I got a mentor very young. He just grabbed me from the beginning. And he always said to me, never take a job that you can't do 50% of. That was his limit. Hmm. He said, if you can do 50% and you have to learn 50%, that's a good balance because the company wants to feel that you can do some of it hmm. while you learn. If you can't do 80% of it, if you only can do 20, that's yeah. a problem because then more of the time you're going to be messing up than actually getting it right, which you know, in your probation period or for new companies, that's quite hard. And I, I actually have stuck to that. So I always look at, and if you can do 100%, he said, Erica, you'll be bored. Yeah, so, where's your place so, of growth then? Exactly. So never take a job that you can do 100% of because then what's your growth and your learning? You know, the company will score great, but what's in it for you? Well, they will um, for so a bit because like you said, if you get bored, you're not going to be performing as well because you're not going to be so yes. passionate. When you get bored, Absolutely. you stop putting in as much. So I think, yeah, that's an interesting one. I've never had it presented that way to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I followed that. Uh, for me, I need to have some learning in there. And it's also, I've seen it in my corporate career where I got to a place that, okay, I'm done now. I've learned everything. That's usually when I started getting the itchy feet or my teams used to say I would break it. I break it. So like, no, okay, it's running smoothly. Let's try the process a different way today. Because oh, you're I'm bored. Yes, <laughs> it's working I'm, you know, perfectly. Like, Let's change it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was always like my little sign of either, you know, move around in the company, try a different role, or maybe it's, you know, time to move on, which is why I'm loving, you know, Orange Tree now, because my customers are so varied and so different. And, you know, every meeting, I have to move my brain into a different gear, whether it's, you know, online selling or, I mean, one customer builds whole digging equipment like it's completely different to (laughs) anything I've done before but you know the boredom is not happening here (laughs) oh that's amazing so you found something you can grow in and and it's fascinating and fulfilling all your needs as well absolutely so just to have a couple more questions with you because I know we're, we're getting a bit close on your time and thank you for giving it to me today one is Over your years, throughout your corporate career, and now moving into this new venture, well, relatively new, how have you defined success? And then what is your definition of success today? 
That's a very interesting one. And it had a pivotal pivotal change, I think, when my sister and I were having this conversation. That was such a, a big tipping point for me. Before, success was the fancy title, the office, having a team under you. You know, the bigger the salary, the more. So for most of my corporate career, that was success, you know. I remember the first day I got my own office. Oh, my heavens, you know, with a door that closed. It You're was, like just brushing um, your shoulders like, it. yeah, I've made it. <laughs> yeah, I've made it. It's fantastic. I got my own printer on my desk. I didn't have to walk to the communal printer. I was like, oh. <laughs> Less um, steps for you today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it just just a very odd way of defining success because I would get it and then it would be, okay, I'm still not happy. So that's interesting. what's so, next, right? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Yeah. So you um, had like goals, you reached them and then you still weren't fulfilled. Still wasn't there. What I've now over the last two years since the conversation with my sister, a couple of things is now my happiness is success. When I'm feeling fulfilled and excited and encouraged and I wake up in the morning going yes I'm ready for this day now I'm successful my kids are happy and you know we're comfortable in where we live and they're safe we're all safe and we all have opportunities to learn things Mm -hmm. for me this is now success and for the last two years my happiness and I say mine it sounds selfish but nobody else can make me happy only I can make myself happy. And the same applies to every other person. That is um, some wise words right there. Only you can make yourself happy. There's no one. And I, I did. I put a lot of pressure on my husband to make me happy or my boss to make me happy. Or, you know, I put a lot of pressure on other people. And actually, no, they can't. Right? They cannot. So the only person who you. can make me happy is me. And so that is my new goal and my wow. new measure of success is, am I happy? So your success comes from your happiness rather than your happiness coming from your success exactly flipped it on its head and now it works much better okay and you said you know your your kids are happy in your house and all of that I mean obviously I can see your home in your background it looks a very lovely home but just for people listening who can't see you're not in a great big mansion are you like it's a very nice home (laughs) we we're in an absolutely ordinary home we live in a little village which we love But my kids are happy when I'm happy Mm -hmm. and they love their school and they have friends and there's a park and we can walk around safely without worrying about our safety or being mugged or anything like that. Sorry, this is a South African in me. So that was a (laughs) norm growing up. Yeah. And we can do stuff, you know, and and love it. Freedom, growth, space to explore, safety. Absolutely. Wow. That's brilliant. And so to anybody who does have aspirations of the traditional view of success, which is the title, the salary, the car, the house, who's maybe hungry for that, you know, young, we can be very hungry to be ambitious. What would your advice be to them? I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting those goals. I think just make sure you're doing it for the right reason, because the title by itself is empty. It's just a name. I mean, when we were deciding on our titles for Orange Tree, so am I the founder, the owner, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was fascinating because, you know, I you am. You can be anything things. you want to be, right? I can be the CEO. I can be all those. Director. <laughs> yes, I can pick any title I want. And actually they're all meaningless words, right? They mean mm-hmm. nothing. It's just a name. And so that's why we are partner in crime. That's our uh, 
that's my title. I'm partner in crime. And so that's my only advice would be just think about, I mean, it's nothing wrong with having the title. It's fantastic. Be the founder, the director, the you know, CEO, whatever title you're looking for. The office is fantastic. It can be lonely. You know, all of that material stuff is great and definitely go for it. If, but make sure it's what you want and make sure it's the real you that wants mm. it. Not because society says that means you're successful. Because I think yeah. that's the problem is outward trappings, right? Is because we're trying to show other people that we're successful. And it may be hiding some insecurities or some fears inside by putting on the makeup of our title and our office and our fancy car and our big house, right? It's all just makeup at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of saying, you know, oh, look, look, I'm enough. I'm enough. Exactly. And that's coming down to, I'm enough for your time. I'm enough for you to respect me. I'm enough for you to engage with me and see me as a human being. I'm enough. And to actually the only time you'll be enough is when you believe it. Because if you don't believe it, how can anyone else believe it? Mm -hmm. the, the facade that you put on, they'll see through it eventually because it becomes very hard to keep up, right? So yeah. the biggest success is when you believe you're enough. And people see that then and feel that when engaging with you. Wow. That's like a whole book of wisdom right there. <laughs> Maybe and I suppose it's not an era. <laughs> that's how we learn, right? Is being imperfectly perfect and growing with that, learning with that. Absolutely. That's wonderful. So I kind of I have so many more questions, but I have to let you go because I find you so fascinating. So I have a feeling I may ask you back on here. And I just love how like abundantly you're sharing all this wisdom as well. You're like, yep, here it is, just out there. Um, but I guess like my kind of last question really would be. If you could get everybody in the world to listen, take on board and act upon three bits of advice or wisdom, what would those three things be? I think the easy, the first one, but the hardest is be and know yourself. It sounds like it's really easy, but it's not actually, because we have all these pieces of information that have been passed to us by so many people that we start believing. So I think just spend time knowing yourself and finding out who you are and what you like and, you know, who's the real Erica? And you may be surprised. Linked to that is my mantra of only I can make myself happy. It's just such a life-changing mantra for me. And I really wish everyone would understand that because we get into so many relationship conflicts because we are telling the other person they aren't doing a good enough job of making us happy, right? Mm -hmm. And they have no role to play. <laughs> fix me, fix me. I need you to fix me. Only you can fix me. I hear that so much on songs as well. Like, yes. I hear that message. Yes. I'm broken, you're broken, let's be broken together. I'm like, no, no, no one's broken. We're just learning. <laughs> but even think of fairy tales. I go through this with my kids, right? Cinderella, oh, she was all lost until the prince came and saved her. And, you know, I'm like, no, no why didn't she save herself? Like, <laughs> and why does the prince have to save her? Why is that on him? Like, he's got his own stuff to be dealing with. Yeah, and she could have saved herself, right? I mean, the fact that he didn't recognize her when she wasn't wearing shoes is a really red flag, in my opinion. <laughs> but, but, uh, well, maybe, but then, like, I am really bad at facial recognition. If you take Cindy out of a situation, I used to walk out of school with the wrong mum, so I, <laughs> I, I understand the prince there. Like, it's, yeah, 
I feel for him. He was dancing with her for like a few hours. He'd had a few drinks. She's in this nice dress, got her makeup on. Yeah, he saw the shoes. Sorry, I'm digressing from your very powerful point, which is Um, can make you happy. Absolutely. And then the third one for me is give more than you receive. I mean, when we think of the word give, we think money, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be money. It can be your time. It can be your ear. You know, it can be just a, a helping hand, friendship, a cup of coffee. Like, I think you get so much back, so much unexpected joy back when you give of yourself and just let your happiness out, right? Wow. I think that's, yeah, that's so important. So I did a certificate in uh, positive psychology and coaching mm-hmm. and in there were random acts of kindness. And they're, they're literally random. You can just, it could be complimenting somebody in a coffee shop. It could be holding a door for someone, picking something up when they've dropped it. Up to like going and helping somebody gardening. And even better if they don't know you did it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think we get that kind of oxytocin hit and dopamine hit from doing something. And then if somebody sees you do it, a witness is your day, somebody like bend down and pick something up that somebody had dropped because their bag was open and they kind of tap, chased off and down the street, tap them on the shoulder and was like, oh, sorry, this fell up your bag. And by the way, it's open. This person's like, oh, thank you so much. And then I saw another person kind of witness that and say thank you to the person who'd run after someone. You know, it wasn't even them. They were being helped going, I saw what you did. That was great. It's so simple. But then yeah. we've got some positivity going in and all of those people would have been getting like a little bit of serotonin, a little bit of dopamine and then pi- paying that forwards as well. So then Absolutely. you're inspired to do something good. And I just think the world's so much better when we realise we're not alone. It's not all about us sometimes. It's quite freeing. I love that. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. That's well, thanks. This has been, been awesome. inspiring. Yeah. And is there anything else you'd like to add in today? No, it's been great chatting to you, Natalie, and I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you. And I think, can we just end with one of, I love some of your little animal stories about marketing. Can we end with your favorite one? Because they always make me smile. It's so true. Well, my favorite one has to be giraffes don't eat steak. And if you sell steak, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're not going to get a giraffe to buy the steak. (laughs) And that's just the way I describe finding the right client for whatever you have. And Mm -hmm. instead of just spraying it out into the public and hoping that there's a right client (laughs) in there somewhere, but finding the right client to buy the steak that you have to offer. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. I really appreciate your time. Exactly. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Wow. What a powerful story. And thank you so much to Erica again for sharing. I hope you have gained some really deep insight into yourself and listening to this story and to Erica sharing has helped you find something within yourself that maybe you've been listening to without realizing I would invite you now to take a little time to reflect on what you've listened to. Note down what's coming up for you and really hear what have you been holding on to without even realizing. Has it shaped your life for the better or has it restricted you? This is the beginning of the coaching journey and when we step into it, we start becoming the leader of our own lives. Enjoy this. Take some time and if you need any help or support, please DM me. I'm happy to provide that as just a conversation between human and human.